And we are live from the Empire of Lies, an oasis of free speech, free thought, and open debate in the vast wasteland that is, for now, the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, investigative journalist, your host, and this is a backstory. Hey, Rod, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lee. How about yourself? I'm good. So do we indeed have a, a guest host today? No. Okay. That's fine. Then I won't say anything. Because there was a possibility we were, right? Yeah, but no, 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 no guest host. Okay, that's fine. We have a great show today. Two great guests. I'll tell you about in a second. But Rod, let me tell you something. Expect a lot of gloating from me today. I'm in full gloat mode. Because two major stories crested the wave and broke today. Bojo is out, not out yet, but close enough. He's announced he'll be out, right? Yeah, after, he find, after the, replacement, the replacement is found, that's what they said. He's not fully gone, but he's announced his resignation as head of the party and eventually as prime minister, and that's pretty soon. And then the other thing I'm gloating about, you can guess what it is, the Brittany Griner story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lee, unfortunately, this story keeps, is still in the uh, top of the news cycle for some reason. And I still see a lot of not smart stuff being said about it. So I'll talk about that. Because to me, it's a pretty easy story, right? If you, if you this go is, to a This is a layup. Right so to speak, at Brittany Griner Lab. So if you go to a foreign country and you bring drugs on a plane with you, expect trouble. You might get away with it, but you likely will not. And if they catch you with drugs on it, they won't say, no one will say, oh no, we're not gonna search this person's bags because they're a black lesbian. They won't say, we're gonna search this black lesbian's bags. They search like everyone's bags and they do a more thorough job on some bags than others. But some people who try to bring weed in do a better job of hiding it than others. Is that also true, Rod? Yeah, for sure. I don't think she, uh, even though her attempt was stupid, I don't think she, she did a good job of it. Right, and so we'll talk about that. But let's talk about the guests. In the first hour, from London, talking about the Bojo Sitch, Amma Kibalo. We've had him on the show before, great journalist, does a lot of important work, and he's in London, and we'll talk to him about Bojo. Then in the second hour, great friend of the show, conversant in a variety of topics, Scotty Nell Hughes. And is that, that's the show, right, Rod? That's the show. Okay, I just wanna make sure, because sometimes, you know, I screw that up, and I want to make sure I got it right, since I sounded very authoritative there and saying that was a show. Now, can you take us out with your voiceover skills, exercise them and say the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. And I am in gloat mode because I, I said yesterday, right? I said yesterday, Bojo won't make it to the weekend. Right? I called that one. You should have placed a Vegas. I think there was Vegas bets, Lee, on how uh, how long he would uh, last. So you should have placed a bet. 
And I won't call people dumb, but I will some you you know, I talked about this on Twitter too, as I'm known to do. And on Twitter, someone said, Bojo's not going anywhere. But blah blah blah. And I said to them, Are you gonna come back and apologize? No one's come back and apologize. But I want you to notice this. If you're one of those people saying Bojo is not going anywhere. He's not going to leave. You're wrong. And my advice is to you, recognize the fact that you're not good at this. What I'm saying is, Rod, if, you know, people bet on football, right? People bet money on football, right? Yeah, a lot of money, billions. Right. And some people are better at it than others. Some people bet on teams, and week after week, the teams they guess lose. Have you noticed that? Some people are better at it, and some people are worse at it. Oh, yeah, for sure. The gambling is a big thing. Uh, even you know the NFL and uh, other sports corporations have introduced it into their, into their leagues. So, so, yeah, it is a, it is a big thing. So I'm making a prognostication piece of advice. If you're going to prognosticate and predict political events, you don't lose money. If if someone says Bojo's, you know, you said people are betting on whether Bojo will stay or leave, but more people bet on football, right? It's not very popular to bet on politics. Right, no, no, no. But I did see in the UK they already um they're already putting odds on who's going to replace him. And Liz Trust, I think, was num- tied for number one. I, and and by the way, that is, I would say, iffy. And I'll talk about that. And I'm, I'm not betting on that one. But what I'm getting at is, if you bet on football week after week, and every week you lose hundreds of dollars or more on football, it might be time to sit yourself down some Monday morning, look yourself in the mirror, sitting because you don't want to fall over, and look yourself square in the eye in the mirror and say to yourself, I am not good at predicting football games. And you'll save hundreds of dollars by realizing that you're bad at that. It, isn't it what happens, Rod? People who are bad at betting on football never realize They never assess themselves realistically, and they can't understand why they keep losing. You keep losing because you're bad at predicting football games. Does that make sense, Rod? No, it definitely does, Lee. I had a a friend who was betting on football games, and he was winning, but then he started losing. So all his winnings, uh, he made like over $10,000. He lost all of that. He actually went into debt with the bookie. So, yeah, I know you're talking about. Yes, and as Clint Eastwood said in one film, a man's got to know his limitations. So you should know your limitations. If you, I'll tell you how, honestly, I'll tell you how I got into politics. Because I've said before, this is like my second major career. I used to work in visual effects and training in Hollywood. And the way I got into this career in politics. I've told practically this story. I 
was doing comedy at HuffPost, and then I started reporting on it. But the way I got interested in politics was I used to be, when I was in, in Hollywood, I used to be a normal civilian, not a political pro professional. And I kept telling people, like anyone who listened to me, like my wife and my friends, I kept making predictions. And I predicted as soon as George W. Bush was elected, I told my wife, we're going to go to war with Iraq. As soon as he was elected, the next day. And she said, what are you talking about? Why do you say that? And I explained to her why. I said, George W. Bush in his career, he avenges his father. He didn't like Ann Richards because she criticized his father, made fun of him. So he ran for governor against her and then president. And George H.W. Bush, his big rap, remember how popular he was when he was first going after Iraq, H.W. Bush? Remember he had like 70% approval ratings. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that, Lee. He did have a, he did have a little a stretch where he was very popular in America and was standing behind him. And because he was unable to defeat Iraq, and he pulled out, that was an embarrassing situation for him. And suddenly, he went up against Clinton, and he lost. And it was humiliating to him. It was just what people said about him was, you know, he can't. Basically, he lost the Iraq war, and I think justifiably, but people felt that he was a loser. This is just post-Vietnam by a few years. We were closer to Vietnam than today. And a lot of people still had a difficult time dealing with the idea of the U.S. as losing wars. Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, that I makes think, sense. Yeah. And so I told my wife, you watch, he's going to go after Iraq. And I was right. And I noticed I kept being right. When I make political predictions, I'd be right. So why not go into politics? That was my theory. But if you're the kind of person who makes predictions and you said, for instance, there's no way this Trump guy will beat Hillary. I'm looking at all the polling. There's no way Trump will win. If you made the prediction, you aren't good at making predictions. I said I never wavered. I said Trump was going to win. And I could see the mood of the country. And I think I'm a realistic assessor of reality. And realistically, my feelings aside, I could tell things were getting over for Bobo Joe. I do a lot of research. And even though Bojo was refusing to quit yesterday, there's only so much pressure you can take in that situation. And sure enough, today, he said it. Now, I, I see Tarif on the line, and I'll take that call, and then I'll talk more about this. And with the Brennan Griner situation, it's not hard to predict. If you carry weed in your luggage— and you travel internationally, 
it's not shocking to me that you're going to get in trouble, period. There's nothing political or racial or sexual about it. She got searched for the same reason I would have been searched. I couldn't flash my, if, if I'd gone up to the counter at Moscow's airport and I was trying to get into the country and when they went to search my bags, if I pulled on my Sputnik ID and said, no, I'm a, a white guy, I'm not a lesbian, and here's my Sputnik card, please don't search my bags. What do you think they would have done in Russia, Rod? Guess their behavior. Please step away from your bag. We have to search you now. Yes. They would have searched me extra hard, right? Because that's suspicious. They would have searched me the same way they searched everybody's bags. So now I'll talk about it. What I said yesterday was Brittany Griner. And by the way, I will say I have no more than the, the minimal amount of sympathy. Do you have any sympathy for Brittany Griner, Rod? No, Lee. Uh, the media is leaving out the fact she's played there for years. She knows the laws. So she travels Europe. She knows you're not supposed to be doing that. So she's a college-educated woman. She should know all. This. She should be smart enough to know that she's not bigger than the laws, you know, uh, over in Russia. So I, I have zero sympathy. Like I said, I don't. I'd be surprised if she get any jail time. So I think she's just going to get kicked out, probation, a fine, and hey, you can't come back for a couple of years. And by the way, that's part of the reason why she pled guilty is because when you don't put them through the trouble of a trial, because also I think the reason she pled guilty is because she is guilty. She did bring that in. Right. So I she didn't say in her letters, she didn't say she was being framed or be, or any of that or, you know, I'm innocent. She, she just wanted uh, help to get home. She, you know, like she's like a, a scared kitten now. But like you said, she didn't come out for the national anthem, but now she's a scared kitten over in Russia. No, that's right. She likes America fine when she thinks it'll help her. And everyone who supported her, you know, I'll, I'll put it like this. If Julian Assange came out tomorrow and said, I'm guilty of espionage, I did it. And he was obviously saying it because it was true, not just lying to get a lighter sentence. Does that make sense? But if Julian Assange said, I admit it, I'm guilty of espionage, I would be pissed off. And I think a lot of Assange supporters should be. The reason is I don't think he's guilty of espionage. That's why I support him. Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, that's why a lot of people support him. It's uh, press freedoms and journalism, so... But it doesn't, this doesn't even compare. I mean, this is light years away. And the fact that she had over a thousand people signing a letter and then she pled guilty the next day, you should have told those people, see, I feel bad for the people who wrote the letter. I'll bet a lot of them thought she was innocent. Suckers, suckers, Brittany plagued you. Brittany plagued you. And by the way, Biden plagued you. He's doing it from political advantage. And because he gets to criticize Vladimir Putin. Have you ever seen Joe Biden criticize one leader for enforcing drug laws? Any leader, even the guy who busted his son, for a far worse drug than weed, I'll point out. 
Yeah, no, I've never I've never seen it, Lee. And uh, we keep getting I think it's like every week we keep getting more Biden Hunter uh, uh, Hunter Biden videos and emails and voicemails. I, I know you probably saw the video of him at a um, it's like a flotation tank. where He's supposed to be detoxing and he's smoking crack and and, and recording himself. So. Yes, that's can you uh, first off, I've never tried crack. And but if I did, I can mention the fun in recording myself smoking crack. That seems. What is he on crack? That seems bizarre. But speaking of someone who supports Assange, 202-521-1320, Tarif, you're on the line. How y'all doing? Thanks for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free to Assange. I have a comment and also my opinion attached to the comment, like abstract thought, trying to put the pieces together. Um, Mike Papayo came out when I was listening to Duran today. Uh, they say Mike Papayo came out a couple of days ago, maybe last week, saying that the U.S. must focus against China and must deal with them not by basically seeing them as an independent nation. Basically, if we see them as an independent nation, that's going to cause like a conflict between us and China. Now, remember this: that when the uh, the deep state or the, you know the, 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 the certain people in the government went after Trump, we went after Trump, Michael Flynn, and also um, you know uh, Roger Stone. They didn't go after no no uh, Mike Pompeo or anybody else. All right, they went after certain people. My thing with the Q thing, it was a psyop of many different type of intelligence communities, Mossad. British intelligence and CIA and different factions in the CIA, right? It was designed to try to get support behind Israel, I think, behind NATO, also behind um, uh, Mike Papayo. I think Mike Papayo and maybe uh, somebody else, I think what it was designed, what they were trying to do was try to take the mega movement, take it from Trump by destroying him, with the the proceedings and everything was going on right now, and try to move it over to Mike Papaya. Well, he take the mega movement over. If not Mike Papaya, maybe somebody else. Maybe like Brian DeSantis. I don't know. I'm just well. The thing, maybe, the thing that QAnon movement said about Pompeo many times and starting early. You remember this, Rod? Trust Kansas, and people figured out that that meant trust Mike Pompeo. So remember. Q was your. I think you're right, Sharif. Q, very early in the operation, was telling people, "Trust Mike Pompeo." But I don't know. I again, I don't know who it, who it was. And those organizations, Mossad, CIA, could have been involved because the genius thing about Q was because it was an anonymous person. Anyone could claim to be Q. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mossad or CIA came in after a little bit and started using Q, but I don't know if they're the ones behind it because I I just don't know. But go ahead, Sharif. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the Q thing, when I was filing in the first two months, it was like kind of making sense. And after the two months, it seemed like somebody took it over. And I think it was um, – like Brennan, I was I, I let me say that I appreciate you saying that, but personally, I was fooled by Q for zero seconds. It was obvious to me what's going on, 
if I'm going to fall for a completely anonymous, if I said the way I, you could tell the truth about Ukraine is squiggle worm. And Rod said to me, what's squiggle worm? Squiggle worm is an anonymous source that is an insider and knows everything. And Rod says, and why is it called squiggle worm? And I said, that's the way it keeps his anonymous nature. That's not a good argument. And it was obvious to me also that what Q was doing was called cold reading. Psychics do it. The way they fool you is they say a small thing and let you fill in the rest. So a psychic will say, I see someone in your life is sick. And if you said, oh, yeah, my grandmother caught COVID-19 recently, they'll say, aha, see what I'm saying? And the person afterwards will go, boy, that psychic was great. He knew my grandmother was sick. No, he didn't. You told him your grandmother was sick. After you make a vague guess, I see someone sick. So I would say Q would say these vague things. And then Q followers would follow in. So I I, ne- I never thought it was interesting. I thought it was a despicable effort. The way I find, the, I find no offense to any fortune tellers out there, but I find psychics personally despicable. And that was a despicable effort to take advantage of a lot of Trump supporters who at, who Trump was doing stuff they couldn't understand. So rather than act like adults and accept reality and accept the fact that Trump isn't who you thought he'd be, they need something to hold on to for hope. And that's what Q provided. So sorry, Sharif, go on. But yeah, it, it, exactly. So that was a theory of mine. Now, it could have started off as a intelligence operation to sucker people in for the first two months, then switching on them. And also, Michael Pena was the one. Remember this, y'all. He was the one, as everybody was begging Trump to to release Julian Science, the patent. He was, Trump was going to do it until he was called in the back room. Michael Pena was standing back there. It was Michael Pena that told Trump not to put in Julian Science. If he would have, things would have been different today because Julian Science would have been leaking out a whole bunch of things, publishing a whole bunch of things with that um, Jeff Epstein list. He would have did that and maybe some other stuff that uh, we was probably trying to get our hands on, like the JFK assassination and other things that uh, uh, was going on in modern day, dealing with a potential war in Russia or China. Julian Sines, he would have been doing that right now, but Mike Pio stopped that. He did. And we got to, you know, make sure we free Julian Sines. Thank y'all for taking my call. Thanks, Rafe. And I also think it's possible Steve Bannon was behind it. And I also think someone named Jack Posobiec was quite possibly behind it. But it also becomes a question of QAnon. There could have been one person or two people who started it. And then a guy like Bannon got involved quickly because what's clear was Jack Posobiec was one of the guys behind Pizzagate. And don't forget, Pizzagate was the first operation 
to discredit Assange. And many people don't see it that way. But the Pizzagate thing, and clearly Jeff Pacific was behind it, and Mike Cernovich, Pizzagate very quickly took people who were taking the Assange every day, WikiLeaks was dropping more material. Remember this period, Rod? Yeah, every 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 few days he was uh, releasing troves of uh, John Podesta's emails. So yeah, I remember that. And and remember, a lot of people were looking at it at the time, and what they were finding was all this horrible stuff about Hillary Clinton that she'd taken over to the Democratic Party. It was all solid information at first. Remember that. Yes, yes, I do. I do remember that. Her conversations with uh, Huma Abedin and uh, those uh, forwarded emails in, in uh, Podesta's And it was inbox. solid political information. And people were finding stuff out. And the WikiLeaks stuff was being very effective. And then suddenly, nitwits start talking about, no, maybe pizza refers to children. And so when they're saying, let's order pizza, maybe they're saying, Let's be pedophiles with children we've kidnapped or something. And I remember when that started happening, and I was like, what a way to destroy WikiLeaks' credibility. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, um, I understand what you're saying, Lee. And when you talk about a, uh, you talk about pedophilia or any of these things, it gets real salacious, and it, it would take people's attention from any of the... Uh, hard concrete uh, evidence in the emails of Hillary's taking over the DNC or, uh, you know, John, whatever John Podesta was involved in as well. And here's one of the reasons they use pedophilia. It's because pedophilia is real and practiced by the elites. And I've shown how Cernovich, one of the guys behind Pizzagate, is also defending Jeff Epstein. He's worked with Alan Dershowitz and filed lawsuits on behalf of Alan Dershowitz against Epstein's victim. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, and uh, we had, um, you haven't brought it up or we haven't talked about it, but uh, Jason Goodman from Crowd Suits the Truth, who who comes on Tuesdays, uh, he was going to talk to Mike Cernovich uh, there in New York, and Mike was very nasty and, you know, pretty much didn't want to talk to him. So he's he's not a nice guy, uh, like he makes himself seem, and he is involved in a lot of uh, nefarious stuff. Including disinformation campaigns that had the effect of protecting Jeff Epstein and Alan Dershowitz, including massive and, and supporting. Mike Cernovich said, anyone who accuses Epstein of being involved with Mossad is anti-Semitic. You've seen that video, right? Yeah, I do remember that, Lee, and, he, he, he's, not, and he's never been able to defend that statement either, so. Right, and he doesn't even try to. But he was part of that Pizzagate thing Clearly. And I remember when he went on 60 Minutes. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember Scott, Scott Pelly, right? Yeah, I think so. And I'm convinced that the way he got the hookup to 60 Minutes was through Steve Bannon. Because Steve, I know for a fact, because I've talked to him, knew a producer over at 60 Minutes. And when I figured out that Cernovich is working with Bannon, 
surreptitiously. I started to put that together. But I'll talk about that some other day. But once you realize that the QAnon operation, part of the purpose of it was to defend Epstein and Israel, Q becomes a lot more interesting. And I think I've, I think there's a paper trail. But we got to go to a short break. And then we're talking to Amit Kabbalah about the situation with Bojo. Let's take a short break on the backstory. Backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, journalist Amit Kabbalah from London. Hey, Amit, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Long time no speak. How you doing? Yes, long time. And we're pleased to have you on the show. So, uh, what's new? What's new? What's new? Well, the Teflon Don, the man that seemed like no scandal could take him down, has finally been taken down. This is kind of like... Um, you know, with with, with uh, John Gotti, the mafia boss, he was beaten case by case. But eventually, as they say, every dog has their day and Boris's day has finally come. Um, so, yeah, he's no longer the prime minister, but the whole furor about how it's happened has been very, very funny to watch. I must say very, very funny to watch. He's had to reshuffle his cabinet which for the international audience is basically the government of ministers that uh, are meant to help him aid um, him in office. So because there were so many resignations, he had to hire a bunch of nobodies to replace the resignations. And one of those nobodies resigned within 26 hours, telling him to step down. Another one who became the chancellor of the exchequer um, took the job, said it was his proudest moment, and then told Boris Johnson to step down. So it really does show there is no honour amongst thieves, and there's definitely no honour when it comes to the Conservative Party. And when you're saying that this was a, 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 tri- a war of attrition, essentially, that was your Gotti metaphor, that's fair to say. It's because ostensibly the reason he resigned was over this guy Pincher, Correct. Explain who Pincher is and feel free to make any bad jokes you want to about his name. (laughs) Well, I don't need to make the jokes. Apparently, Boris Johnson makes the jokes. So uh, Christopher Pincher was the deputy chief whip. And apparently, um, despite being, you know, a married man, he was groping other men at the Conservative Party or Conservative Members Club. And there'd been several allegations And Boris Johnson had been approached about these allegations. And allegedly, he said, what do you want me to do? Pincher's a bit handsy. Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. So he kind of dismissed, you know, these, what what many people see as very serious allegations of sexual abuse. Um, He dismissed it because, um, you know, Christopher Pincher was an ally of his. Um, But what really annoyed people is, that he claimed to have never had anyone approach him regarding these allegations. 
Now that triggered a series of resignations, one by a, a, a government official that was actually there present when the allegation was brought up to, to Boris Johnson. But really, this is kind of a hangover of what's been called Partygate. So Partygate was, um, for those that don't know, it was this um, scandal surrounding Boris Johnson and, and the Downing Street office that while they were telling people to stay indoors and to abide by the lockdown rules, there was over 50 parties in Downing Street, 17 or 18 that Boris Johnson had attended himself. So, um, I mean, in the UK, it's fair to say not many people stuck to the lockdown rules, but there is something that, that particularly irked the nation, the idea that the person that's telling us that we should stay indoors and that if we leave our houses, we will be fined or prosecuted, was there partying up, toasting, having, you know, cheese and wine, while the rest of us couldn't go to the hospital to see our loved ones, were, were, had to stay outside of the labour room while our wives gave, gave birth. Had, they, they even cancelled Christmas. They told us that people shouldn't even have a Christmas meal together. Um, so that's what caused the anger. Now, what helped Boris Johnson was Ukraine. So he was already on the verge of, uh, of resigning and the pressure was, was piling. And then the conflict in Ukraine escalated and it was just the perfect, perfect distraction for Boris Johnson. And he, but, and that's why I think he's become kind of the leading European war hawk calling for, you know, more weapons to be sent to Zelensky, more escalation against Russia, um, more and more support for the Ukrainian far right or the neo-Nazis, as they were called before the war started. Um, so he, that's a, that was been a healthy distraction for him as long as he didn't get himself into trouble again. But Boris being Boris, he just can't stay out of controversy. And then this story came out, and that was kind of basically the final nail in the coffin. You're in London now. Were you in London a few years ago around the time Assange was taken? Yes, I was. I was, yeah, and I covered it. Okay, so I'll ask you something about the period in a second, but let me give you a theory of mine. Part of the reason things took a while with Bojo was not only support for the UK, but I think a big factor was that there's no clear successor for Boris Johnson. There's no one clear to take over the Tories. And there's also no clear opposition leader because people don't like Keir Starmer from the Labour Party much better. And yeah. he's not in the same party. But I think the lack of a clear successor, there's no one who gets pointed to, oh, it's obvious this person is popular with people. And Britain's facing great problems now. Inflation is high and people expect a tough winter. But I think part of the problem was no clear person to take over in the Tories, in Labour, in, in anywhere. What do you think about that? I think that's great analysis, and I couldn't agree more. Keir Starmer hardly inspires anyone, let alone, you know, the electorate. Um, even despite all these scandals, I think the Labour Party is only a few points ahead of the Conservative Party. If they had, you know, a, a good charismatic leader, they'd be miles ahead of the Conservative Party after all these scandals. 
that have appeared. And yeah, in the Conservative Party, there's clearly no one either. Um, and I think Boris Johnson has been very calculated in making sure that the people around him were nowhere near as popular as he was. Um, and, and let's face it, he was, you know, until recently, um, a, a very popular leader. He got Brexit done after many, many years of kind of indecision and haggling with the European Union. And many, many people that voted for Brexit, which was the majority, a very slim majority, but a majority nonetheless, appreciated him for that. Um, but yeah, the, the Boris Johnson in many ways is like a, we call him a B-Tech um, Donald Trump. Uh, like he, he, he seems to get away with things that others can't um, because, you know, he says it how he sees it. And in the age of deceit and lies, people appreciate that even if he's being offensive, even if he's, you know, clearly messing up or, or, or stumbling over himself, people appreciate what they believe and a, a politician to be speaking it how he sees it. Now, he obviously has proven to be a liar, so I'm not trying to say that he's honest in what he says, but I think at least with his, his beliefs and his kind of politically incorrect attitude, he's honest in that sense. And the reason I asked you if you were there at that time is I, I went over to England several times and I was paying some close attention to it. But I saw, and I'm, I'm going to point out something, I think this war in Ukraine has been going on since 2014. Would you agree? Yeah, of course, since since the coup, since the US-sponsored coup, there's been a conflict. It's just that the, you know, the mainstream media only paid attention when uh, the conflict escalated um, recently in February. So the UK knew this, this war was going on and was in their own way behind it. I point out that Nazi leader Ukrainian Nazi leader, Stefan Bandera. Bandera, after World War II, was taken in by the British. He worked with MI6. So the Ukrainian Nazi connections go back to World War II with Great Britain. And what they did, can you imagine this war if Julian Assange were around and WikiLeaks were operational? Lies about the war of which there have been a lot, would have been exposed, I think. I, I dare say uh, that's what would have happened. So what they did, I think, a few years ago was they sabotaged the pro-Assange voices in the UK, which were coming from Labour. An MP from Derby named Chris Williamson and people like Corbyn and people like George Galloway George Galloway used to have a talk show on Murdoch's channel on talk radio. And I saw, and when they took out Williamson, they called him anti-Semitic. But what they meant by anti-Semitic was that he had a different view on Middle East policy. He, he did not just agree with everything Israel said on Middle Eastern policy. Is uh, I'm, I'm I'm trying to sum it up, and and broadly, but I think that was a big. It seemed to me at the time the criticism of Chris Williamson, who was a big Assange fan, 
and a big advocate and an MP. And he was there at Belmarsh the day after I was there when he spoke. Uh, it seemed to me, but it was his opposition to Israeli policy on the Middle East that got him labeled an anti-Semite. Do you remember that situation? Does that sound right to you, Ahmed? Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was Chris Williamson. It was Jeremy Corbyn. It was John McDonald. It was a host of, you know, yes. the left, the left wing of the Labour Party. And it wasn't actually about Israel per se. It was just anti-Semitism was the was the weapon of choice that they knew that could take down the Corbyn project. So if they could have called Jeremy Corbyn a homophobe and it would have worked, they would have called him that. If they could have called him, you know, a racist or anything else, and they felt that he could have had some sort of leeway, then they would have called him that. The reason why anti-Semitism had leeway and they knew it was a, a weapon of choice because Jeremy Corbyn, Chris Williamson, um, Diane Abbott, John McDonald, and several hundreds, I think it, it might even have gone into the thousands of Labour members that were expunged from the Labour Party, were pro-Palestinian. And a trick that has been played since the Nakba in 1948 is to say that anyone that supports Palestinians' rights to self-determination is therefore an anti-Semite. It's a very effective trick. It's been used for a very long time. And they've managed to, you know, develop and sophisticate that weapon. So it's now more effective than it's ever been. To such a no, point right. that many and, of the left... Thanks for bringing up Corbyn. I, I forgot to mention that. But obviously Corbyn was a big name there. And I dare say, but, if Corbyn were still George, in charge of labor, they would, labor would have a clear alternative yeah. to Bojo. And they would have yeah. been building that for months. Do you agree? I agree. And there's something that, you know, adds strength to your argument. In 2017, when Theresa May um, lost the majority. In 2017, so there was a general election in 2017. I'm saying if Corbyn were still in charge, there would be a clear alternative to Bojo. Labour and Corbyn would have made sure of it. But as it stands yeah. now... There's no clear alternative. There's sort of a half. Uh, Keir Starmer represents not clear an alternative. And do you think yeah. things would be different now if Corbyn were still leading Labour? One hundred percent. And that's why Jeremy Corbyn isn't leading the Labour Party. Okay, it was Central. We seem to have lost Ahmed. So let's see if we can get him back. Let me know. Hello. Lee. Lee. Yeah, well, Ahmed. Just just there, right? Central. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Ahmed, you're back. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hi. Sorry. Just to um, yeah, to respond to your point, I agree 100% that everything would be different if Corbyn was in power, and that's precisely the reason why Jeremy Corbyn was systematically, you know, attacked from his own Labour Party, from the mainstream media, and from 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 you know those that he thought were his friends. It was a concerted effort. In 2017 general election in the UK, Jeremy Corbyn would have won, but it turns out that the Labour Party HQ, the, the, those that are not elected, but those that are paid to work for the Labour Party, 
were purposely working against Jeremy Corbyn to make sure that he didn't win the general elections. So when they say that there's a democracy here in the UK, how can that be true when we have the second or the one of the two big parties is actively working against their leader to make sure that he does not win a general election? And had he won in 2017, we would not be where we are today. We would not have 9% inflation. We would not have an explosion of food banks. We'd not have people choosing whether they can stay warm in, and, and turn on their heating or whether they can eat. Deciding between heat and eat is not a choice that anyone in any industrialized society should be making. But that is the choice that hundreds of thousands are making now because of this economic crisis that has only been exacerbated by Britain's war hawk intervention in the conflict in Ukraine. And this is stuff that Jeremy Corbyn has been opposing. The only criticism I have of Jeremy Corbyn is he knew that these forces were working against him from as early as 2016. What he should have done is articulate to his supporters, to the electorate, who these forces are, how they're working against him and how they're impeding British democracy. He should have taken, you know, the Hugo Chavez approach and gave, you know, a long sermon the Fidel Castro approach and gave a long sermon explaining that this is a class war, that those within the Labour Party and the Conservative Party were representing the ruling class. And that's why they were doing everything in their power to stop Jeremy Corbyn from being elected. And Chris Williamson was attacked because he was one of those brave enough to stand up and explain what is happening, saying that the anti-Semitism crisis is a manufactured crisis to take down Corbyn. That's why he was kicked out of the Labour Party for, for telling the truth. And now we are basically living with the legacy of, of a series of lies. And I think also uh, Corbyn honestly shot himself in the foot with, with his position on Brexit. And I think that at the time, George Galloway was making the Labour slash populist, the populist Labour the working person's argument against for for Brexit, forgive me, for Brexit, saying that it would push down wages and that was the purpose of it. And now we're seeing Bojo, who was supposedly the big advocate of Brexit, he's acted, as far as I'm concerned, England might as well be part of the EU the way they're acting in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. With the EU. Do you see my, does that make sense, Ahmed? I'm not saying it you does, agree, but it does make sense. And that it actually links to Keir Starmer. So when Jeremy Corbyn, a, a big mistake that he had, he made was he tried to have what he calls a broad church approach, which basically means those that are your enemies, you bring them along in your shadow cabinet, thinking that you can show the country that the party is united. But actually what Keir Starmer was doing was playing the role of, is it, is it House of Cards in the United States, the American show that used to be on Netflix? It's called House of Cards? Yes, yes. yes. What's the, is the, it Frank the British, the British version yeah. or? Yeah, uh, so, so Keir Starmer was basically playing the, the role of Frank Underwood, where he is the one that designed Jeremy Corbyn's um, Brexit policy in the 2019 general election. So he's the one that insisted that there should be a second referendum. 
And that was electoral suicide for Jeremy Corbyn. But Keir Starmer knew it'd be electoral suicide for Jeremy Corbyn and that he would be the one to replace him as Labour leader. So he played a very sophisticated game because in 2017, Jeremy Corbyn's position on Brexit was support the public vote. People have voted for Brexit. Now let's get on. Let's get on with Brexit. But to please the cosmopolitan elite in which Keir Starmer represented, they put in the manifesto in the 2019 general election that they'd have a second referendum on Brexit. And that ended up being, you know, the, the catalyst of Jeremy Corbyn's demise, because the working class towns, the former mining towns, the former industrialized towns that voted for Brexit under, under the premise that they thought it would bring back, you know, jobs to the United Kingdom, whether that's true or not, is, you know, a debate for another day. Um, they voted for Brexit and they wanted their vote to be respected. And when they saw the Labour Party pledging to have a second referendum, that's why they lended all their support to Boris Johnson. That's why Boris Johnson won the biggest landslide um, in a general election, and I think in about 80 years. But it was all manufactured by Keir Starmer. Again, when we talk about Julian Assange, Keir Starmer was the reason why Julian Assange was in the Ecuadorian embassy in the first place. So um, Keir Starmer was the chief public prosecutor at the time before he was an MP. And he's the one that, that um, basically made the case to Sweden not to put um, any conditions regarding not ex no bail, sorry, no conditions regarding the extradition to the United States. If you remember, Sweden um, wanted to question Julian Assange. Julian Assange was happy to go to Sweden, but they, he wanted it in writing that if he goes there to be questioned over these bogus, you know, rape allegations, that they should put in writing that he would not be extradited to the United States. Keir Starmer had wrote an email to, Swede, to the Swedish prosecutors saying that this would not be a wise decision and that this should not be treated as any normal rape allegation. And that's the reason why Julian Assange knew that when he got bail, he had to go to the Ecuadorian embassy because he understood that, that the British judicial system were not just treating him as, you know, somebody accused of a, of, of a heinous crime, but are actually treating him as some sort of political prisoner that, that and, and it was always going to lead to an extradition case. Something that we were told back then was just in our minds. It had nothing to do with extradition, nothing to do with the United States. This was about, you know, a couple of women that had accused Julian Assange. Long and behold, charges have been dropped. And now Julian Assange is facing extradition where he'll face 175 years in a supermax prison where he won't even able to look up at the sun. Brilliant point, Ahmed. And thanks for pointing it out about Keir Summer's role in Assange, because I think that ties in too. Now, let's talk about the road for forward here. You have the parliamentary recess, summer recess coming up in about a week, right? Yeah. And so that th that puts a bit of a breather because what the Tories need to do is they need to elect not only a new prime minister, but the thing that he immediately stepped down from is from leadership of the Tories, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And this parliamentary recess, how, how long is the recess? I'm not sure. 
to be honest. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But it's interesting because he, he stepped down as a conservative leader, but he's not stepped down as the prime minister. And he's saying that he wants right. to stay on as prime minister, as caretaker prime minister, until the autumn, which is like still a couple of months away. Now, there is pressure being heaped on him by Sir Keir Starmer for him to step down now. And they're saying that if he does not step down now, then the Labour Party will 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 put in a, a, a motion of no of no confidence in the government, uh, and there's you know all of his former cabinet ministers or cabinet ministers are still asking him to step down. So the story is is far from over. There's pressure being heaped on him by the day, and I I'd be very surprised if Boris Johnson was to last the week. The pressure is coming because inflation is clearly rising in the UK. And we've been following it all, even on the news, what's happening in the, the Netherlands with the Dutch farmers rising. Is that making the news in the UK? Yeah, it is. It is, but it's it, not adequately. I mean, I saw a video that just took my breath away where the Dutch, so Dutch farmer was on the floor, defenseless, and the Dutch police were attacking him with dogs. So it was one dog attacking him, biting his leg. The Dutch farmer was screaming. And then they took a break and switched dogs. And this should be getting international headlines everywhere. And it's just not. Um, now. Because the Dutch also provide food to, they're an exporter of food. And do you expect the Dutch crisis over food to affect the UK food situation? I mean, if it, it it very well it very well might do. I mean, there's so many crises happening in the UK at the same time. Inflation is at nine point one percent. There's private companies like ASDA, which is basically you know the our equivalent of of Walmart, that are are putting up you know special offers. If if you come to our supermarket with a child under the age of sixteen and you buy something. You can get a free meal at a cafe. Now, this isn't the the role of you know private institutions. And I'm I'm in I'm in a great appearance. Unfortunately, we're out we're out of time. We have to go to a short break at the top of the hour here. But I'm a Cavallo, great appearance. Thanks so much for coming on. And that's from London. And be aware of this because it's going to affect the U.S. too. We'll be back with more backstory after this break. back on the backstory live and bring you the news from the empire of lies the united states where the world situation is also something we look at every day and keep you ahead of the news i'm investigative journalist lee stranahan and this is backstory and we talked to senator nixon early in the week about the dead and uh, you're learning more about the Grateful Dead than you ever thought you'd learn, right, Rod? Yeah, for sure. That's that's a that's a definitely. Well, one thing the Dead says, the Deadheads say, is it's all one song. So, do you see from our interview with Amakavalo, great interview, 
do you start to see how it's kind of all one song? The anti-Assange thing is the pro-war thing. Does it make sense? Yeah, I've been saying that for a few years, Lee. Um, you know, every so often Assange comes back in the news cycle, and then something will come and kick him right out. Uh, you know, obviously he deserves to be out of prison. The whole, like, uh, like Ahmed was talking about the whole fraud rape case that happened in Sweden, and uh, you know that was the, the the accuser said that they were put up to it, and so he should be out of jail. But now he's still on the path to extradition here to America. And the forces that are against Assange are the forces. And, and also things like Zionism come in here because consistently they're, they're Zionists. And that's why we've had Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, so people get a full understanding of Zionism. That's not code for Jews. Does it make sense, Rod? You've seen that from talking to Rabbi. That is not, Zionism and Judaism are distinct and different. And Zionism is associated with what Janet Yellen recently called the liberal world order. Does it make sense? No, for sure, Lee. I've, you know, I've I learned about that from when uh, Professor Griff got kicked out of uh, Public Enemy. You know, he was talking about Zionism, and then uh, they attributed to him saying uh, he was talking about all Jews. So that's, you know, that's and that was what the early '90s. You know, so it's yeah. uh, something something I've been uh, obviously learned more about listening to Fault Lines and, and this show and being a part of this show. But all the way back to Public Enemy uh, when. Professor Griff got kicked out. That's when I learned about Zionism. And and PE, unfortunately, whatever. But if you can get Chuck on the show, feel free. But, you know, when the lyric is so-called chosen frozen, that's a little too... He, he is saying the Jews there, right? So PE made the mistake that's common is it confuses Jews with... Anti with with Zionism and they're not the same thing. But Zionism, because Dick Cheney, not Jew, a Zionist clearly. Mike Pompeo, a Zionist, right? You'd agree with that politi- politically, Rod? Yeah, the, the, I believe they're evangelicals and there's a, a deep evangelical connection to uh, Israel. And it, as I said, it's all one song, so you can see a lot of the stuff is connecting. I think if I'm going to get inspiratorial, I would say the operation to take out Assange years ago that's been going on and part of the PSYOP take out Assange, a lot of it has to do with getting people like Chris Williamson and minimizing the impact of someone like George Galloway. Does it make sense? I think they want to take out the impact of Galloway because he's so right on so many issues. And so they weakened the Labour Party in the UK. And people in the US, who they don't see that the same forces that took out Galloway and Williamson years ago are the same forces that were against Trump in the United States. But does that make sense? And and against Assange, does that make sense, Rod? No, one hundred percent, it does make sense. And uh, you still have a lot of people who support Trump and support him, or have come on board and now support him, who don't see this stuff, and they just want, they just think, you know, putting Trump back in office is gonna 
be a, a fix-all, you know, and it's just, you know, a flexi CEO. He's going to be able to, to see all the cracks that Biden's created. And, you know, that's, you know, that's too much opium for me, you know. Yes, and anyone who listens to the show regularly, in case it's not obvious, uh, Rod's really smart. Rod does get this stuff. There's a reason he's a producer and does such a great job of anticipating guests who'd be good. And Rod really does know stuff and uh, is very smart about it. So there's, I'm done. That's the sucking up to Rod portion of our show, Rod. No, thank, thanks, Lee. I appreciate. It. I appreciate that. You know, and, and it, it's kind of insult. I think it insults uh, most of people's intelligence that uh, we're over here um, being inundated with Brittany Griner news, a, a woman who has no importance, hates America, and but now she needs America's help and it needs your attention. So, but I think there's a, even even the Brittany Griner story. The reason I spend so much time, and in light of her pleading guilty today. I'm glad I spent the time yesterday on it. The Brittany Griner story serves as part of the PSYOP as distraction. You see, if you can get people to say the Brittany Griner thing, it's another way of attacking Putin and attacking Putin for no reason. If you're going to attack Putin, attack every governor of every state where anyone is arrested for weed. You see what I'm saying? Call the governor of every. By the way, weed is illegal in half the states, and if you have a petition to make weed legal, I'll sign it. I'm pro weed, but I'm also pro following the laws of where you go, especially when it's so easy to get caught. As I say, Brittany Griner was not stopped walking down the street in Moscow. Then they said, show us your papers and give us your luggage. She went through someplace. Rod, have you ever, you ever been to pick a, pick a Fiji? Have you ever been to Fiji, Rod? <laughs> not yet, not yet. Okay, so you've never, never been to Fiji. If you got on a plane from Fiji, what are the percentage odds they would examine your luggage? when you landed in Fiji and went through customs. Zero to 100%, Rod. Um, since I'm an American, I'm going to this to this island, I would say probably about 60, 70%, they would probably search my luggage. And what's what are the odds they're gonna ask you questions about your luggage and and do a cursory search? Oh, the same, same, six, seventy percent, or maybe even higher, 80, 90%. Uh, they're gonna take out all your stuff and ask you, what is, what is this, what is that? Right, and I'd say about 100% where they're going to look at you, open your bag, and just rustle around the clothes on top. Does that make sense? It's it's easy to predict. A place you've never been, a country you've never been to, they will search your luggage. And that's what happened here. And Brittany learned to hide your weed better. There are things you could have done. I'm not going to go into detail, but she could have balloons she could have swallowed her weed if she'd wanted to dig it out afterwards but apparently she doesn't like weed that much and i'll i'll be honest me neither or don't take it but this serves as distraction and they're trying to use this to make people hate putin but i don't think it's going to make anyone 
hate Putin more. Do you, Rod? Uh, no, Lee, I, you know, some of the uh, shows that I watch or podcasts or whatever have talked about it very briefly. Nobody's really going in depth about it because they don't really believe it's that serious. But, you know, they don't say that, you know, this is Putin put it up to it. I mean, they say people put it a possibility like, yeah, maybe. But, you know, just like can Biden get you arrested if you come into San Diego? You know, you know what I mean? Can he set the cops on you and get you arrested to check your luggage? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. So how, how would Putin be involved with this? Also, do your announcer part of the gig, Rod, and let's let's end the music. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Now, Rod, do you also agree that this is not a case where Brittany Griner is caught in the middle of a dispute between Russia and the United States? I have no reason to believe this would have been any different if Joe Biden had a picture, a dreamy-looking picture of Vladimir Putin up in his office and put his hands in his, his chin in his hands every day and blew kisses to Vladimir Putin. I know that's an airy image. But I don't think this would be any different if we had great relations with Russia. Do you, Rod? Uh, no, Lee, I was watching uh, Jason Whitlock. He's a sports journalist, and he has a show on The Blaze. And he was talking about he had a friend who played football at Ball State. He, he went to Ball State himself, who got in a fight in China, and he got put in prison for three years just for a regular you know, domestic fight at, out at night. And then also he got a $40,000 fine that uh, Jason Whitlock paid himself to get him back here in America. So, you know, that wasn't anything to do between us and China. That's their laws. And, uh, you know, in a sense, if you are an American, I would say maybe you, there will be a little bit heavier, heavier handed if you break certain laws like that. But, you know, so the same thing here. She broke a law. I mean, it's not like they planned it on her. She never said she that this is a false accusation. And now she's going through the process. So how does that have anything to do between America and Russia? She broke the law. Nobody planted any evidence on her. No, that's right. So this is not in any way a political thing. The only point is if you're opposed to weed being legal, you can say, well, I don't think— 10 years potentially for having weed is right. But that's not what she's been sentenced to. Let's see what she shall be sentenced to. And let's take the calls. 202-521-1320. Mark from Indiana, the home of Ball State University, correct? Yes, sir, but I went to uh, DePaul and then Indiana State. Okay, but Robert was talking about Ball State. So I thought I'd oh. exhibit my knowledge of where Ball State. The only reason I know where Ball State is is because Letterman went there. David Letterman. Correct. Yeah, it's in Muncie, Indiana. That's where my dad grew up. He went to uh, Muncie Burris. Thanks for filling in that detail. What's on your mind, Mark? Uh, I saw an article today uh, called Democrats Pitch Immigration Issues on Must Pass Defense Bill. And, uh, it's on roll call. I posted it on Twitter, and then I I uh, tried to CC you and Rod. I was wondering if you saw that. I didn't, but I have to check. My mail goes to spam sometimes ah. if, it, if it gets forwarded, so I'll check in that. But what was the story about? Well, it's basically talking about um, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, and uh, Democrats are trying to get it passed before um, the August recess, and they're attaching— 
immigration policies to it. So I got a two-part question. One is, how do you feel about earmarks in the first place? Because they're taking defense and then they're mixing it with immigration, presumably because they don't think they would get immigration passed if they had a separate bill for it. And then the second part of my question is, at the end of the article, there was a congressman from Wisconsin, a Republican named Tom Tiffany, and he was saying that uh, he wants to send the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines down to the border to uh, keep the illegal immigrants out. And he's trying to get that put in the bill. So I wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Well, let me take—okay, uh, so I can answer the first one quickly. I'm generally opposed to the omnibus bills, these big bills that Congress passes. I'm generally opposed to those, and I wish a congressman who's elected would try writing some bills that are clear and easy to understand right. and try getting those through. So that's my broad answer on that. On the situation with, with military at the border, it's becoming— there was recently another big group that came through the border. I saw this on Fox, about 500 people. And the situation at the southern border is getting to the point where I think only the military will be able to handle it. However, I don't know what the military is supposed to do. Are they supposed to shoot the people? Are they supposed to lay mines? The military, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, has two purposes, to kill people and break things. And I'm not sure how that skill set applies to the border. They can threaten to kill people, but at the end of the day, if the military captures people, where do they send them? It, on our current laws, they get sent to an immigration court where there's a 1.5 million person backlog. So does that make sense, Mark? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you know, I guess he just thinks he can intimidate people to try to keep them from coming. But I just, you know, I remember... Uh, Timothy McVeigh got mad about the Posse Comitatus Act. That was, you know, he was responding to Waco. The army was used against civilians in Waco, Texas, and that's that's why he bombed that federal building in uh, in uh, Oklahoma because he said, "Look, the army's not supposed to be used against civilians. That's that violates the Posse Comitatus Act." So when I see a congressman proposing using the military against civilians, even if they are from another country, you know, it just concerns me about what kind of backlash there might be to that sort of policy. Well, I, I see that concern. On something like McVeigh, you, you can't ever factor that in because you know it's going to set off someone to do something like that. So, but I, I think the situation is different because they're not our citizens. And but I, I again, I, Rod, you see what I'm saying? I don't know what the military is supposed to do. If they capture 500, let's say, immigrants, I think all they could do is send them to those immigration courts, right? Yeah, no, I, I saw Mark tagged us on Twitter on that, and I read it. And uh, like you said, what you know, what um, it's probably. Or hopefully the congressman is just saying that for intimidation, just to intimidate people coming across the border. But to add on to that, did you see, Lee, that there was a uh, planned 
July 4th attack in Richmond, Virginia by two illegals, uh, one of them who has been deported multiple times. And they both had uh, uh, rifles. Uh, they don't know how they got these rifles, multiple clips. So um, that's not being talked about in the media, but uh, that, that arrest did happen. And what was their goal? Their goal was to attack a, uh, I guess it was a small parade, not not a parade, but some type of celebration in Richmond, Virginia for July 4th. And, you know, I don't know, obviously attacking them and creating terror. I don't, I don't you know, I guess we'll find out more in the days to come. Well, thanks for the call, Mark. But did you see the other thing out of Uvalde, Texas, with that shooting? I, by the way, if you notice a distinct lack of me talking about the guy who shot the parade in Illinois, you're about to observe that more. I have nothing to say about that. It was horrible, obviously, and the guy was a nut, obviously, and I don't know what else to say about it. It's bad. And the guy was a maniac. Rod, am I, is there anything I need to bring up about that? Uh, no, I, uh, I have. I did see the interview with his father. I did read the interview with his father, who's pretty much saying it's not my fault. It's pretty much all on my son. And if you read it, uh, I think it's Bob Cremo Sr. or whatever the guy's name is. Um, it's just an odd situation, an odd family. Yeah. And I'm somewhat, somewhat empathetic with him. If any of my kids did something, I'm not responsible for it unless I asked them to do it. But, and what I've learned about being a parent is there's nothing you can do right, and there's a lot you can do wrong. What I mean by that is there's nothing you can do to assure your kid doesn't have any problems. Nothing. You could do everything right. You could send him, you could follow the rules, send him to school, whatever. And still, some people who are raised, it's not their upbringing that forced them to do something. But on the other hand, there's a lot you could do wrong. For instance, molesting your kids, let's say, is always wrong. So don't do that. But there are parents who don't do that, and their kids still have problems. Do you see what I'm saying, Ron? Oh, yeah, for sure, Lee. Um, there is no 100% uh, science on being a parent or being parents to a, to a child or children that is going to work out. I mean, you could have six kids, and five of your kids are amazing people um, in society, and one of them might turn out uh, not so good. And, you know, you got to give them all the same type of care and uh, affection, but still one of them turned out bad. And it, and the same thing applies to, for instance, kids who commit suicide. Uh, you know, the author David Foster Wallace, who wrote the book Infinite Chess, he committed suicide in his early 40s. But he seems to have had a pretty good upbringing. And his sister talked about he was a very happy person. And you you can't can't predict what's going to set that off for anybody. So, you know, in some cases you can, but I think those cases are fairly rare. In some cases, the parent was raising their kid to be a maniacal killer. But most of the time, they were just raising him.
and you can't predict it. But uh, did you see in Uvalde that apparently the cops has shot at the guy before he went into the school and they were told not they were not given the order to take the shot. Did you see that detail, Rod? Yeah, I saw that. Also saw that one of the police officers spoke with the, spoke with him. I believe spoke with the the shooter uh, before the shooting. So it's just this whole story just keeps getting weirder and weirder. And the media's already moved on. They don't. Evaldi's just a word for to that equals gun control. That's it. They don't want to talk about anything else about it. Right, and, and because none of the stories have come out, make you go, I ought to ban guns. Right, hearing. That the police didn't take a shot at the guy doesn't make me want to ban guns. You, Rod? No, not at all, Lee. Uh, just, you know, uh, I know uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about her. I guess she had, she does a, a live podcast now, and Newsweek, I believe, has been reaching out to her uh, staffers to try to smear her and say that she was saying that both these shootings have been uh, false flags. That's not what she said. She was saying that the, they're being used for... Uh, politically to, to try to ban guns. And factually speaking, there is a lot of weird stuff about the Uvalde story. I wouldn't call it a false flag, but I'd call it a lot of weird stuff that nobody is being. The other thing that's weird to me, Rod, is that I don't see anybody being held accountable for it. Do you? Uh, no, uh, that uh, the officer that was on the city council resigned. Um, I don't see what else is going to happen to him unless there's some type of a federal investigation. But uh, I don't not hold my breath on that. So who will be held accountable? I don't little to nobody, uh, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. And you could do a, a, a solid half hour documentary easily on just the weird stuff that they found out afterwards. Right. There's enough weird stuff where there's no shortage of explanations. But we're not getting any serious discussion in the media about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course, Lee. It would, it would break their narrative. They don't like talk about anything that would break the narrative that they that they stay on. They stay on one track. And if you take them off that track, you know, it, all everything falls down. The house, the house of cards, as we talked about earlier, falls down. Now, speaking of stuff that's being undercovered, we mentioned when we were talking to Amicavallo, the Dutch farmers, and you see more of that, right? Right, right, including the cops shooting at one of the farmers protesting. You saw that footage, right? Yeah, he was in his tractor and he, was, he wasn't going to hit anybody, so they can't say anything. He was just pulling off to just get away. And I saw the officer fired like at least two or three shots off at him. Then I saw a clip yesterday of a woman who was being questioned, I guess, in the Netherlands, and then the cops start fighting her, like literally fighting her, beating her up. And so it's, it's a crazy situation over there now. It is. And the the concern that all Americans should have is, is, a, is a harbinger of things to come. And you notice the Dutch farmers' protests share something in common with the yellow vest protests in France that went on for so many months. Do you know what that is, Rod? Do you know what they share in common? Uh, 
Well, pretty much that they're protesting the government. That's the only thing I can think of. But you, yes, please enlighten us. They're protesting the government, and specifically, they're protesting environmental regulations by the government. Both of them. In France, it was the price increases on fuel due to environmentalism, and in Dutch, in the Netherlands, the the protests there are people upset about the net zero environmental conflicts. Does that make sense? People, citizens, citizens being upset. And the final thing I'll end with, and then we'll go to a break and bring in Scotty and L. Hughes. Did you see what's happening in Sri Lanka? Yeah, I was just going to bring that up, uh, Lee. The, the citizens are going are uprising against the, uh, the wealthy and also the politicians and the police have, uh, are starting to shoot the, uh, the protesters. I mean, they're not enough police but to uh, do it, but there's so many protesters in Sri Lanka, it's crazy. So on the island nation of Sri Lanka, there's stuff going on that you should be aware of in the same way you should be aware of what's happening in the Netherlands. Be aware, citizens on the streets and big riots and unbelievable footage you can find if you look for it. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk to our friend Scotty Nell Hughes on the backstory. backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington DC on the radio joined now by our good friend Scotty Nell Hughes hey Scotty how you doing well currently Lee I am on the search for the best coleslaw that I can get through a drive-thru so I I mean that is the problem there's so many issues in the world today that I have to make dinner in the middle of them. And so I am trying to find the best coleslaw, whether it be KFC or Popeyes or Bojangles, that I can get through a drive-thru. How does that sound and for what you? And what have you discovered so far? So far, I'm thinking that I'm going to go, and I, and I don't know what they have where you are, but they have a place called Popeyes, which is like Louisiana-seasoned coleslaw, which has a lot of spice in it um, and a lot less, uh, not as creamy, but I think that one's the one I'm going to end up going with, basically out of necessity. Okay. And that will satisfy <laughs> your family for dinner? It doesn't matter. It's there. If they don't eat it, it's on them. There's peanut butter and jelly in the cereal because for the goodness gracious of all days today, Bojo is going bye-bye. And that right there amongst all of the other chaos that your guest just went through, whether we're talking about Sri Lanka or the protest. Um, and famines that are now happening all over the EU, all over the world, the gas shortages that are happening, everything going on right now at this point, what you know, it comes down to can you put food on your table tonight when your family goes to eat? Are they going to go to bed hungry? And around the world today, faulty decisions by leaders have made families really struggle with that decision today and that ability to do so. And finally, we've seen one leader, and I have to say it's very scary to me, Lee, to see that Boris Johnson today 
resigning. And if you think this is all because he held a party during the coronavirus, then you are extremely naive, as I'm seeing so many trying to spin it that way. But this is all about poor leadership decisions. And I just have to wonder, normally we see when a country is going down, we always say the captain has to go down with the ship. You know, it's really bad when it sounds like almost like the captain knows that the ship's going to hit the iceberg. It doesn't have any other choice. It's being forced to hit, hit the iceberg and he doesn't want to be on it when it happens. So he's jumping ship. And that's almost what I feel like is the reasoning behind him deciding to resign from from his position there in Great Britain. And he, he's dealing with a minor version of what they're dealing with, a bigger version in the Netherlands and a much bigger version in Sri Lanka. These are about food and fuel prices or inability to get them. In Sri Lanka, you can't even buy gas unless you're a government vehicle. But these crises are coming across Europe and we'll talk about it in the U.S. in one second. But do you agree that these crises are related to the fact that the citizens are paying and in some cases can't even get food and fuel, Scotty? 100%. And I'll even take it the next step. This is happening because when the world tries to put sanctions and shut down the economy that not only provides your fuel, which provides basically everything your, to heat your homes and gas, but they also shut down the, the area where there was where your actual food comes from, the basis of your food production. What else did they expect was going to happen? That was the whole point six months ago, seven months ago, when the majority of us like you and I were saying, stop it, America. Don't get involved. Let them work it out. Let's not escalate this because we knew in the end it was not going to be Russia who was going to suffer from these sanctions. Who's suffering from the sanctions is everybody around them because we have made such a global economy. And while they can be self-sustaining, the rest of the world, including America and the UK, cannot. We did not have to be in this situation. Boris Johnson, whether you like him or not, he didn't have to resign, but he is resigning because it is so horrible, the, the, the environment. And more importantly, he's, you're, he's only resigning as a leader because he knows that he has no way to fix it. He cannot fix whatever path the UK is on. You know, you only stay in office because you feel like, okay, I can change the course. I can do He has given up that hope. So that is what is very, very scary. And I have to wonder, Fit, you know, we just had the, I think it was the G20 last week. What was said in there? Was this a long term? Had this been going on in the back of his mind? Or was something said last week that made Boris Johnson go, I am getting the heck out of Dodge right now before it gets really bad? And part of me thinks that that's even more scary. When you see a world leader like Boris Johnson of the UK resigning his position without a specific real reason, that means that we don't know. And that can be very, very scary, very dangerous right now. We'll talk more about Vojo in one second because I got a clip from him that I want to play soon. But first, we'll play a clip from Tucker Carlson. And this is the, the, the overall point I want to make. Scotty, I know you're aware of the news. You follow the news. Because I want you to imagine this. You, by listening to the show, are ahead of the news. Bojo leaving. We've been talking about Bojo being in trouble for months on this show. 
And I said, I said, I'm, I'm mentioning Scotty that normal people, you, you know, your friends and neighbors who don't follow the news and don't follow particularly Russian media, Sputnik, RT when it existed, they are not surprised by Voja leaving because I've been talking about it for months. And Scotty, you weren't shocked by it. But if you are a normal view, news viewer, MSNBC, Fox, doesn't matter. You only got a clue about it starting to be last night. Do you agree that this information is catching a lot of people who trust the Western media? It's catching them by surprise and adding to their level of panic. Absolutely, 100%. And I will tell you, I was surprised today that he resigned. It wasn't that I surprised. I knew, you know, you knew it was coming, but why today of all days? That was my surprising point in it. And I, I agree. It, if this, if you weren't, if you were thinking that, you know, everything was going great. And, and I just once again, want to reemphasize, what does it say about the policy and the strategy of what NATO and the United States and the UK have been pushing when the key leader of United States, our largest ally, if their their leader is stepping down, what does that say about where what kind of course and agenda they have? If you were already, especially in the UK, if you were already questioning what was going on, let's remember this is a country that literally just broke apart from the European Union. They broke apart from the EU, not a vote once, but twice they had this vote. Same result. They were on before the coronavirus. They were breaking apart. And in fact, the country was highly divided, but it didn't matter. Boris Johnson still kept his job. It would literally be like the United States breaking away and saying, you know what? We're going to have nothing else to do with any other country in North America when it comes to trade and security. We're done. That was the biggest vote in in the UK history, modern day history. And he still survived. Today, he wakes up and says, I resign. If that doesn't panic you as to what he knows and his justification behind it, th then, you're, then you need to pay more attention to what's going on and the potential for what, pe what people right now, who I consider to be very much warmongers, those that are wanting World War III, those who want to continue, who could care less about the suffering that you and I and individuals, not only here in the U.S., but around the world, are having to suffer for because of their decisions. They could care less. They just want war. That's right there is why people need to wake up and realize that this is not just about a prime minister resigning. This is a lot bigger picture. This is a world power losing its leadership in the middle of a fight. So ask yourself why. And one of the only voices in the mainstream media who's pointing out the problem is a guy who's accused of being a Putin puppet, and he's not, and he's not even as a big an advocate for Vladimir Putin as I, I like, as I am, or as I like to see, but is Tucker Carlson on Fox News, one of the most hated and criticized media figures in the, in the world of mainstream media today. I would say there's no one more hated than Tucker. Would you agree with that, Scotty? Uh 100%, hence why I, I, I think he, I, I bless him more. Absolutely. And let's play this clip and see what Tucker is warning you about. We've also been warning you about it. But here's the guy no one in the Western media wants you to listen to. Play the Tucker Carlson clip, Command Central. Hit it. 
lines. You have to make that as obvious as possible. Over the weekend, Joe Biden's communication staff tweeted this out under his name. Quote, my message to the companies running gas stations and setting prices at the pump is simple. This is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you're paying for the product and do it now. Was it like nationalizing the gas stations? So he's attacking small businesses in the United States. Running a gas station is not a profitable gig. It's not like running Apple or being a private equity baron or doing any of the things that Joe Biden's donors do. It's not like being Nancy Pelosi who somehow got super rich. How'd that happen? No, it's a small business. So he's blaming them as he sells our national assets to our enemies. So no one with a basic understanding of economics can pretend to justify what that tweet says. It's just too stupid. Even CNN wouldn't swallow it. Watch. Christine, it's like there's a bad smell in the room and the president is just pointing to the dog. Yeah, I mean, look, he, this is a real problem for the White House because people put gas in their car all the time and they're feeling, feeling this pain. They say there's so many factors at play. It's not like you can just lower the price of gas, you know, with waving a magic wand. And the president was talking about the people who sell the gas. The 145,000 gas stations are independently owned. They're small businesses, essentially. And they have higher margins on their candy bars that they sell than they do on their gas. Well, exactly. And that's literally true. They make more on a Snickers bar on a percentage basis than they do from a gallon of diesel fuel. But we may be blaming the wrong people here. Corrine Jean-Pierre? Please. She has no idea what's actually going on. She just reads from the binder, barely read, whatever. They have to workshop sound bites like Putin's price hike. All right. Now, Scotty, Joe Biden's suggestion that gas stations cut their prices. By the way, I suggest Hunter Biden cut his fee to Burisma, but I was ignored. But his suggestion about gas stations cutting their prices won't solve the gas. What are you paying for gas in Tennessee now, currently? Uh, we are at $4.57 is what I filled up today. It cost me $89 to fill up my Jeep that was pretty much empty. Um, no coupons involved. This is something that used to be underneath Trump. I remember looking at it and going, okay, $45 was what it's literally doubled from what I remember it being just a short time ago. And everybody across the country is dealing with this, of course. The, the specifics may vary, but everyone's dealing with this. Tucker is pointing out something that is letting Americans know it's going to get worse. And I think we could approach a level of Netherlands, Sri Lanka rioting in the U.S. If things get bad enough, I... I, I mentioned this in Sioux Falls the other day. I went to Walmart. Do you know they were out of eggs? Eggs, Scotty. They had no eggs. In Sioux Falls. When that? I mean, and yes. That, that's that's right there, almost you know, Armageddon level right there. Because it's not like this is a big major urban city. This is Sioux Falls, and in Sioux Falls, that I guarantee probably the chickens are a few miles down the road. If they can't even get, you know, if the eggs are gone from there, that speaks to a bigger picture. Folks, I am not a doomsdayer. I I read revolution, uh, revelations. I hate to live by it. But I'm also a realist, and I'm seeing these signs that are all around us. And, and meanwhile, today, President Biden is at the White House. And is he meeting with his national security team because our biggest ally lost their commander-in-chief? Is he uh, trying to figure out, is he meeting with our oil and gas companies to figure out how he can get them done? Is he doing anything? No. He is giving the medals of freedom to Megan Rapinoe, 
Uh, he's giving it to uh, Simone uh, Biles. Not that they don't need it. Um, he's giving posthumously to John McCain. Like, this was his focus today. This is what he wanted the media to focus on, were people that had stand-ups for social reasonings and another man who was, had passed on and gotten us into war and who loves what's going on wherever he's at and watching what's going on between the U.S. and Russia, or Russia and Ukraine. That's what our but president I, I, I want to give him his due, though. Joe Biden, like Bojo, does care about his citizens. Unfortunately, it's the citizens of Ukraine. And in, the, in those cases, not the, the, the innocent citizens, the Nazis. So let's hear Bojo. Let's play that clip, Command Central. Bojo saying he won't leave. His concern is not the British citizens. Let's hear who Bojo He'll tell us who his concern is. Hit it. Hey, Mr. Speaker, does the Prime Minister think there are any circumstances in which he should resign? I think, I, Mr. Speaker, I clearly, if, uh, uh, if there were circumstances in which I felt it was uh, impossible for the government to go on and discharge uh, the mandate uh, that we've been given, uh, or if I felt, for instance, that we were being frustrated in our desire to support the Ukrainian people, uh, or, or over some major point, uh, then I would. But, but frankly, Mr. Speaker, the job of a Prime Minister in difficult circumstances when he's been handed a colossal mandate is to keep going, and that's what I'm going to do. Hmm. That's a threat coming from Bojo. He'll keep going. Scotty, what do you think of that? Are you scared? That's why I'm scared. Because up until now, he has been Boris, uh, bullish Boris. And he really didn't care. I mean, he didn't care about, you know, the, the new girlfriend slash I don't even know if they've gotten married and the children or the COVID or the parties. He, he like I said, he was strong during Brexit and, and he stayed strong during that. And that definitely had the country ripped apart and in turmoil. So then I have to ask, what is it that made him decide this week, what made, is it, it made him decide today that he no longer could handle the situation? And like I said, people get out of leadership, either they're forced out because of corruption, obvious corruption, which there was definitely there, but that trial had not started. That, that public opinion had really not, um, they had tried to do a vote of no confidence two weeks ago. It failed. Um, it didn't do anything. So why, why today? What information? And, and that, like I said, that's why I'm scared. It's not about what we know, because what we know is pretty damning, but it's nothing new. What we don't know is what I think what caused Boris Johnson to ultimately get serve his resignation today. Well, he made it through the G7 and the NATO meeting, the big NATO summit in Madrid and the G7. If he'd quit before then, there would have been an empty chair, basically. And so he got through those public events. I think that was part of it. Or you could look at the exact opposite, that something he was said, something that is going on, so a decision made. Unfortunately, we know not everything happens in front of the cameras, and we usually don't know what's decided um, in these meetings. I have to hope that it's what you said, that he just didn't want to have an empty chair. But part of me goes, what was said in that meeting that made him say, I can no longer, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And I know that this, like I said, I know that this boat is headed into the iceberg. I see it. In fact, I'm a part of the person that, stir, that that pointed in that direction. But I don't want to be on this ship when it hits because then I don't want this to go down in history with my name 
being the prime minister that tanked whatever is coming to the UK. Now, we'll talk about I want to play one more clip. Uh, we've been critical of the media, you and I, but mm -hmm. there is some place apparently you can still go to get the news. Did you know that, Scotty? Uh, I did not. Besides Sputnik, um, I am sure there. I, I would, I'm looking forward to this answer. UFC fighters go to the oh, ring. Oh boy! Uh, because geez. here's a UFC fighter. No, I'm serious. You, you got to hear this. Here's a UFC fighter in the ring. I mean, play this clip. Not in the ring, but play the clip of the UFC fighter, please. Hit it. Galen Maxwell just got put away for 20 years. So she was supplying kids for these pedos, right? Where's the list? Yeah. Is it is it, as that just gets like, I don't Man, know. It's weird that that got no coverage, but Johnny Depp and Amber was everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. And I'm like, so the list of, you know, politicians and actresses and actors or whatever that they talked about, does that get swept under the rug? Do they not get any time mm -hmm. for actually those kids? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, that's weird that how that just doesn't compute with me. Now, so... Have you ever heard a news anchor ask where the list of people who Ghislaine Maxwell obviously has? Has any news anchor, you ever hear Jake Tapper or anyone bring that issue up? Or does it take a fighter from the UFC in an interview to bring that up? Scotty. Well, first of all, I should have known that it was going to be a fighter that was going to be, should have been your answer for news. I'm in Tennessee. In fact, on June 30th, we are actually going to have uh, the state of Tennessee is is honoring Rick Flair with national with the state of Tennessee Rick Flair Day. Uh, we have our own go. governor, uh, our own mayor Glenn Jacobs in Knoxville. So all that you know, this is wrestling and and is, is a pretty big part. But I think it's also I think it's sad. But what's scary about it is it still is not going to make a difference. You know, they gave her a twenty year so they gave her a twenty year sentence. And so they can say, look, we punished her and we can sweep her back away and nobody talk about it again. This is this is sad, the society. But I'll, I'll put it like this. Yesterday I was in Memphis, Tennessee. And if anybody that knows Memphis, it is so deep in corruption. We're not talking just 10 years. We're talking 100 years of corruption with dead bodies voting three times in elections. It's so much. It's not even a joke anymore. It's just common knowledge. That I had, I had a story in front of me of where a man that was arrested just in 2017 for underage uh, soliciting of a of a prostitute, it was a sting operation. He opened up a cheerleading and dance gym with his wife two months ago, and nobody's turning a blind eye to it. I mean, nobody's. He had the attorney general wipe his name off of the uh, the attorney general wipe his name off of the sex offender list, and now. He can open up a kid's cheer gym. They don't. And I said, well, why is anybody telling the story? There's so much corruption in that city. They're like, this isn't even a story. This is something we come to expect, sort of like Chicago and shootings. We don't cover the shootings in Chicago anymore in the nightly news. We just tell you the final number of how many were shot at the end of the weekend. But you do have a parade shot up with a white, um, absolutely crazy uh, I still don't even know how to describe this evil, and that's going to be used real quickly to, to push an agenda, not because of the victims that were shot, but because it falls into an agenda and a narrative that's going to be pushed right now of chaos within our country. So to that, to that extent, um, I'm not surprised because sometimes – but it makes me feel good to know that people are paying attention, and they're not paying attention to, this, to the, the mainstream networks. 
they're paying attention to stations like yours and your work. And that just makes, if you can get one more person to care, then that means it's worth you getting up every day and doing the research and the time and effort that you and your staff put into this show. Well, and I think that's part of what's frustrating people. I think people, it's becoming very obvious. The, the truth, Russiagate fell apart, right? The Russiagate story fell apart. Yet we had Joe Biden literally say, Russia, Russia, Russia is the cause of our energy problems. Did you hear that clip? Yes, where he said it's, it's Putin's price hike. He can say that as many times as he wants. And the only people who are actually believing it um, are the ones that are saying it. And, and I honestly have doubts that they actually believe it themselves. They know that doesn't even make sense. Putin is just an easy, an easy villain to have these days. But just like everything else, they're going to overuse it. Um, and, and they're going to realize the truth in it. Now, I, I don't want to speak too frankly on her behalf, but we both have a mutual friend. I think she's come on your show several times, Rachel Blevins, who I worked with. And now she is over in Moscow working for RT International. But watching her day as an American girl from Texas over in Russia and seeing as a, a single 26-year-old woman what life is like there compared to here it's been mind blowing because it's not propaganda. It's literally her posting on her Instagram and her social media, just what the streets are like and the people are like, and, and how a little bit colder it is there. They, I guess since Al Gore doesn't live in Russia, they're not dealing with this heat wave, but just how, you know, despite there is a war going on, obviously there is turmoil, just how more peaceful and calm the life is in Moscow right now for a, an American girl moving over there than it was when she was in Washington, D.C., where we had we were worried of her walking home or getting on the subway every night. We don't have that worry over there. It, it's real interesting to see, and you'll never hear that story on the mainstream media. Maybe that's what many Russians want, is that people don't realize just um, what life is like over there and the quality of life that a lot of Russians are, are getting to lead right now, despite the ones that are living in hell and turmoil are the ones that put the, did this to themselves by their countries putting sanctions um, on the, their fuel providers and their gas and their food providers. And that's why anyone in management is saying two years in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, have prepared me for a Moscow weather. So I'm just <laughs> saying, saying, can't hint. But and, yes. <laughs> uh, and and field rail is over there, and a couple of people have gone over to Moscow, and I'm not surprised. Because you've had plenty of guests from Moscow, Mark Sabota and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I talked to pe- people like Peter Lavelle from Crosstalk. I've been on a show, but also I talk to him sometimes for a couple of minutes before I'm on a show. And he's always told me, everyone I talk to, and I'm sure you've had this experience, no one says to you, we're about to go live on the air, Scotty, in two minutes. So no one can hear us now. Get me out of Moscow. Help, help, I'm trapped. No one's ever said that to you, right, Scotty? Everyone. Uh, no one has lo- ever said that. Right, but you see what I'm saying? It's not some trick or trap. It's real. And I think the thing that Putin does that distinguish him, distinguishes him from American leaders is he's realistic and honest in his assessment. I'm not saying... Again, then people go, well, you're saying everything he says is the truth. No, I don't have to say that. I'm saying everything I've looked into is. And do you think the realistic way to look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, 
realistically, Russia's effectively won the military operation. And that that is one thing no one in the Western media or the Western leaders want to admit fully is that Russia has beat Ukraine and that morally should be Ukraine because Ukraine's one who's been bombing civilians for years. What's the realistic view of Ukraine? Scotty? Well, I saw I saw a report a few weeks uh, a few days ago that reported that the Russians had overtaken Donetsk. Um, there might be still some minor skirmishes, but I everything that I'm seeing confirms that, and I believe that pretty much to be true. Um, that being said, that was one of the two major points why this this started back in February, and yet you're not seeing that reported anywhere. In fact, what you're seeing is that you have, if anything, you still see these continued propaganda stories and this continued parade of U.S. celebrities and government officials, including Boris Johnson, uh, towing back over there. Ultimately, you know what? Malcolm Nance is back. Scotty, Scotty, we're out of time. Scotty and Al Hughes, great appearance as always. You got to get that coleslaw home. We might, we might have Russia beat in the coleslaw department. I'm not sure. Scotty Nell Hughes, thanks so much for joining us. I'm a Kabbalah. Thanks for joining us in the first hour. Great job, Rod. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory.